Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Welcome to the 10-12, the podcast that covers all 10 teams in the Big 12 Conference, soon to be 14, then 12. I am your host, Philip Slavin. Thank you for joining us this week with another fantastic show, a loaded show, a great show. My great friend, Melina Sanchez, is going to join us. We've got a hire to talk about. Texas Tech has hired a new softball head coach, former Texas A&M and Florida State assistant Craig Snyder, now running the show in Lubbock. Very excited to talk about that. Actually, one thing, we had another guest we were going to bring on. Uh, scheduling issue came up at the last second. That would be Kelly Fortenberry, who's a former AM player uh, who played under Coach Snyder. She wanted me to include this quote from her because she wasn't able to make the interview. Uh, quote, uh, I said, Coach Snyder is the best human in the world. He cares about us more than just athletes. He generally wants us to be successful, not just in softball aspect. He means the world to me. That lines up with everything we have seen and heard so far. So uh, we will talk with Melina about that hire here in just a few minutes. Also joining us today, Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports is going to be here. We are breaking down the winners and losers of the transfer portal in the Big 12. We're pretty much going to touch on every Big 12 team, kind of, I don't want to say grade, but review how they did in the transfer portal, both with players going out and in. We've got some set winners and losers, a lot of consensus there. And then we talk about the few of the teams who didn't quite make the cut either or kind of fell in the middle ground. Really great interview, especially if you like transfer portal, want an idea of kind of who's coming in and who's going out. Uh, Steven, always, <coughs> always fantastic. Make sure uh, you are listening to him and Braden Gall on the Cover 2 podcast each week if you are not. You should be. It is one of the best national college football podcasts that there are. A few pieces of news and notes. Obviously, the 2021-2022 college sports season is officially over. Ole Miss has won the Men's College World Series, knocking off Oklahoma two games to none in the championship series. Congrats to Oklahoma for getting there. Hottie toddy to Ole Miss, who has now who is a, a school that did, had not officially won an NCAA national championship in any sport until last year. Now they've got two years in a row winning one. Women's golf did it last year. Baseball did it this year. Man. Um... College baseball is the sport where the most ridiculous things can happen. It's not just that you get like the upsets in regional play. Ole Miss was the last team to make it in. They were the last at-large team to make the field, and they just won the national championship. OU 
who was really good down the stretch, and we knew that they would do well. I We picked them to win their regional, made it the championship series. Two unseeded teams made the championship series. It's one of the fun things about college baseball. It really is. College softball. Uh, lots of fun, but doesn't quite give you that that college baseball does. It's one thing college baseball has over it. You can get championship series against unseeded teams. Two unseeded teams, which we got this year. Just wild. Uh, little news from us. Uh, Big 12 Media Days is coming up. Uh, it will be July 13th and 14th. We have been able to go the last two times that it has been held. I do not believe we will be there this year. The plan was to go, uh, but I've got a two-month-old almost. will be two months about that time. Uh, and so it's just going to be best for me to stay at home. And I don't have anybody else from the show, Andy or Jamie, who is available to go, or anyone else from the network who seems to be able to do so as well. So I think this will be the first time in a few years the 10-12 network and the 10-12 podcast will not be at Big 12 Media Days. I'm sorry for that. I hate that. Trust me, I want to be there. We just can't. Not this year. We'll be back next year. That's the plan. Uh, I do have a Big 12 first team ballot to fill out. We'll probably talk about that soon. I'll, I'll make sure that you know what we picked. We always post it on Instagram. Always post a graphic of what we sent in, both of our how we rank teams 1 through 10 and all of our all Big 12 team. I will publish that on Instagram as I always do. I will talk about that here on the show once it comes out. Uh, we'll break it down for you. I want to let you know how I feel because it's it's a lot of fun. I'm not done yet. I'm still it's, it's due Tuesday. So as of time of recording this intro on Sunday night, I'm not done. I'm about halfway done. I'm, I'm struggling with a few position groups. Just a few. Um, uh, the ones that have been the hardest are, are linebacker. I'm just not sure who to even put in there. Like there's some guys I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, I have a little struggle there. A little bit of a struggle there. But I'll get it done, and you'll find out. If you haven't yet, you need to go check out the TCU line at Homefield Apparel. Homefield Apparel, official sponsor of the 1012 Podcast and 1012 Network, the home of the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever put on. The TCU line is incredible. It's not fair to other schools who didn't get a line as good. And look, I love the Oklahoma State line, and I love the Pistol Patty shirts. The OSU line is not as good as TCU. It's not, and I have to admit that. But when you've got a weird mascot and you can have like the shirt I have, which the horned frog wearing a fur coat and waving a pennant, you put an you put an animal mascot. You put, let me rephrase it. You put a mascot in a fur coat with a pennant because the other shirt I have is a rock in a fur coat and a pennant. I'm going to buy it. And they're super comfortable. So homefieldapparel.com. You guys know them. They have more than 100 schools available, including almost all the big 12 schools at this point, current or future, all but two. Big New Saturday Season 4 is still going on. I believe this week's is Nebraska, former Big 12 school. But don't forget our promo code, NETWORK12, N-E-T-W-O-R-K-1-2, for 15% off your first order. Uh, if you listen to any show in the network, everyone's got a promo code. If you want to use one of theirs, that is fine with me. It will not hurt my feelings. I want the network to do well. So just use a network show uh, promo code. Ours is Network 12 in ETWORK12 and be rocking the most comfortable vintage college sports apparel you will ever wear. Guys, it's so good. It's so good. And ladies, sorry. I think I'm two cans in. It's been a long weekend. Long weekend. Uh, so we will not be at Big 12 Media Days. Shop Home Field. Two great guests coming up. Melina Sanchez. We're going to talk about Texas Tech's softball coach hire. Steven Lassen. Talk about Transfer Portal winners and losers. Do us a favor. Leave us a rating and a review. 
especially on Apple. It really does help the show out a ton. I really would appreciate it. I would like some new reviews. We haven't gotten any in a while. Preferably good ones, if you don't mind. If you didn't know, we are available on Pandora. So if you have a friend who loves Pandora, our show is available there. But if you've got a friend who's a Big 12 fan and they haven't checked out the show before or they don't listen to the show or maybe it's been a long time, I like to think I do a better job now than I used to do back in the past. Tell a friend. Help us out. We'd appreciate it. Tell them about the 1012 Network. Tell them about the 1012 Podcast. They do us a favor. Uh, we, we're working our tail off this summer to try and provide you the best content we possibly can covering the Big 12 Conference as a whole. The ever-changing, uh, ever-fantastic Big 12 Conference. All right. Follow us on Twitter at 1012 Network. Follow us on Instagram at 1012 Pod. Two great guests. Let's get to them. Are you a parent listening to this podcast with a child at home, either in middle school or high school, but already thinking about college planning, scholarships, or dreaming of them playing sports in college? Do you know a high school or middle school athlete who wants to go and play in college? Whether it's D1, D2, D3, or just they're not even sure they just want to keep playing during college. Well, let us introduce you to one of our friends of the podcast and a company who is an expert in the world of college recruiting, Recruit Route. Led by our friend Brian Bedford, a 25-year veteran of recruiting and former D1 recruiting director, Recruit Route offers a full suite of offerings to help student athletes, parents, and high school coaches be better educated and empowered to successfully navigate the college recruiting process. Check out our friends at recruit-route.com. That's recruit-route.com. Don't forget, run your route in recruiting with Recruit Route. The only open softball head coaching position in the Big 12 has now been field, filled, field, filled. Oh my gosh, great start here. Uh, Texas Tech announcing early last week that they had hired former Florida State and Texas A&M assistant Craig Snyder to run the Texas Tech softball program. We have to talk about it a little bit. I'm very excited about this as, uh, as the Big 12 podcast that, that loves Big 12 softball. And so that means we are joined by my good friend, Melina Sanchez. Melina, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. Softball season's over. Although we do have a lot of uh, AUX softball, WPF softball, and ESPN. So that's that's good. I'm glad to see that the sport's growing. Like we predicted, Oklahoma won. Um, but very proud of Texas. Great season for them. Yes, yes. Texas, Texas. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, uh, the the pro softball stuff is fantastic. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, any chance I get to continue to watch Sam Shaw uh, bat flip and play is a, is a great opportunity. And of course, transfer portal is alive and well for softball as well. So we're seeing, already seeing Oklahoma land a couple of studs for their team. But today, uh, at some point this off season, we got plenty of time before the next softball season to break all that down. But for today, I do want to talk about Craig Snyder, who Texas Tech has hired to be their next head coach after relieving Sammy Ward and her staff from their position uh, just about over a month ago. Uh, you know, it, initial reactions from what I have seen on social media, especially from former AM players, uh, from former Florida State players, has been very, very positive. Melina, what was your initial reaction uh, to this announcement? I know earlier we had talked about, you know, is Texas Tech going to get this hire right? You know, they had been pretty, pretty, they have been, pretty unsuccessful, you know, ever since Shannon Hayes having Coach Gregory there and coming in with Coach Ward. They knocked it out of the park with this hire with Craig Snyder. I think this is a phenomenal hire. Um, I think he's an amazing coach. Obviously, from what we've seen all over social media, he's an amazing person, an amazing human, and you need somebody like that to get a great culture back into Texas Tech softball, and I think that's exactly what he's going to bring. Yeah, you know, as you mentioned, Florida State and Texas A&M, 
He's the lead recruiter at both programs, was at Florida State uh, when they won a national championship, was part of that stuff. He's got a national championship pedigree. He is, as I said, a an ace recruiter. He's been the top recruiter at two of the two of the better programs in college softball. Florida State, obviously one of the better programs in college softball, and him spending the money to bring him over and to try and help their program out. And now he is in charge at Texas Tech. He's had stops at Oklahoma. Uh, I think this is a good hire. Like we we did we had some names some sitting head coaches we had a couple of assistants when when you and Albie joined me to kind of talk about potential head coach this is not one of the guys who was on our list obviously you know he became even more available after Texas A and M uh, their head coach quote unquote retired I mean it was definitely one of those like forced out kind of situations um, so he became available I I I do think this is a a good hire and as long as it took Texas Tech. To, to name him as their head coach. It does feel like they really did their research. They really took their time, and they they worked hard to find the right guy. I mean, after two, frankly, bad hires that you had to relieve, uh, for one for accusations of player mistreatment, another one, we don't really know for sure, though there have been some, some comments made by players at Texas Tech it really did feel like, as we mentioned, this was a huge and important hire for Texas Tech to get right. And and this does feel like a solid hire. As I mentioned, looking at, at some of the quote teats, we tried to find a former player uh, to, to come on the show. It wasn't, we weren't able to, it didn't work out. Let's put it that way. Um, but from everything you could see from quote teats of former players at AM and Florida State, a lot of positive buzz. A lot of players coming out and saying, congrats, this is awesome. He deserves this opportunity. So it it does feel at this point like this was a good hire for Texas Tech. Yeah, it was a good hire for Texas Tech. Coach Snyder brings a lot of a lot of experience uh, being with Coach Alameda at Florida State, then with Coach Joe Evans at Texas A&M, two of the most successful coaches that softball has ever seen, will ever see. Coach Snyder has a knack for having amazing offenses. He helped A&M. Uh, t- he elevated their program and hitting in so many ways, made Haley Lee an All-American, Won a national title for the state in 2018. You remember some of those household names, Sydney Serrell, Jesse Warren, Alex Powers. Um, so he has a knack for developing hitters, develop, uh, developing talent, developing offenses. So I think Texas Tech is going to be a, a great team in the future. He's going to provide offense. He's going to provide structure. He's going to provide culture. Um, so he's Texas Tech went in the right direction uh, hiring uh, Coach Snyder. Like we said, an ace recruiter, as you mentioned, it's been said. Uh, an offensive guy in the Big 12. I mean, it's in college softball anymore, if you've got a pitcher or two, you're awesome, but you've got to be able to score. Bringing in a guy who's a hitting coach, who's helped Texas A&M, helped Florida State have fantastic offenses, have good hitting percentages, and recruiting as well as he has, I think those are big things for Texas Tech. I, look, if you told me that Texas Tech softball was going to be like we think of Texas Tech football, where it's a lot of offense, maybe a little more defensive pitching than we would expect from uh, from Texas Tech football. But if you tell me we're going to get a lot of offense from Texas Tech softball, it makes me very excited. And again, in a conference that is changing drastically over the next few years, 2013, we're going to see four teams join the, the conference, three that bring softball in, in Houston, UCF, and BYU, and then eventually Oklahoma and Texas leaving. Like They do think, again, this is a, a hire that Texas Tech needed to knock out of the park because the conference is going to be going through a transition where it's going to be a little bit open. We know Oklahoma State, as long as they have Gajewski, who signed an extension, you would assume Oklahoma State's going to stay one of the better programs in this conference. We've seen UCF continue to rise. Um, so... I do think there is a, there is an opening for a third and fourth team in the Big 12, 
with this hire, you you got to feel like Texas Tech has an opportunity to kind of kind of climb up at, over the next few years and 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 rise to that to that grouping. Yeah, I agree with that. And he has some time too, like we've talked about. He is an elite, an elite recruiter, an amazing human. You know, when you're getting recruited, you just want to be around genuine people. And I think that's who Craig Snyder is. He's a genuine guy and a great offensive mind, a great recruiter. So he's going to have time to build um, Texas Tech over the next couple of years. And I think they're going to be a dangerous team for years to come. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he still has to fill out his staff. We're not sure anything about, about budget, about what he is making. We haven't seen contract details yet. Uh, he did have his introductory press conference on Thursday. And it's hard not to like him. It's hard not to, to have watched that and, and felt like this is a guy that wants to be at Texas Tech, wants to be in Lubbock. I think that is something that goes a little bit underrated. Look, I, I don't I don't care so much about winning the press conference. I think that gets overrated. But you can tell the difference between a guy who feels like he wants to be somewhere and a guy who's taken a head, jo- head coaching job, right? And, and this doesn't feel like it's a, this is the first opportunity he's had, so this is what he's going to take. It does seem like Craig Snyder might be a guy who actually wants to be at Texas Tech and sees the potential and opportunity there. So like we said, I think this is a good hire. Uh, obviously, we'll be paying very close attention to to his first year, uh, to the staff that he puts together there in Lubbock over the coming months before the next season. Uh very excited to see what happens. Positive quotes, as we mentioned, from former players. Positive quotes uh, of Texas Tech putting out their press release from both uh, Lonnie Alameda, head coach at Florida State, and um, someone you're very familiar with, Melina, Mike White, head coach at Texas. Positive comments about him. So very excited to see what he does in Lubbock. Hey there, 1012 Network listeners. This is Dustin from the Scott Nolan Podcast, the original Houston Cougar athletics podcast, and the latest member of the 1012 Network. Uh, My co-host, Sam, do you want to tell the fine folks what the Scott Nolan Podcast is all about? I sure do. We come on here at least once a week, and we talk all things going on in the world of Houston Cougar sports. Plus, we usually find time for some of what's going on in our future conference, our current conference, and really the college sports world at large. We're not just a football, men's basketball podcast. We really pride ourselves here on the fact that every single team that wears the Scarlet and Albino in Houston and their jerseys gets time on our show. Plus, from time to time, we bring on some guests ranging from opposing team experts to even former Olympic great Carl Lewis. So be sure to search the Scott and Holman podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And remember, we spell podcast P-A-W-D cast because we are oh so funny like that. Very excited today to have a guest I like to get on at least once a year during the off season. That is Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. Stephen, welcome back to the show, man. Hey, Philip. It's great to be back. I appreciate the time and, and having me on to talk about uh, some Big 12 transfers. I know you said the word off season there, but. I'm kind of wondering where our offseason went, man. It feels like college football news never stops these days. I mean, it's not quite NFL level. Uh, I don't think it's as, as well scheduled out and organized, but it does feel like every time we seem to get into a lull, something big happens. Um, and we can we can start there. Obviously, this episode's coming out on, on Monday. Uh, we're recording it uh, just, I mean, 5, 10, 15 minutes ago, news dropped that Texas is landing a five-star quarterback Perfect score of against all rankings. Arch Manning has committed to the University of Texas to join their quarterback room. Uh, I mean, this this guy's this is a guy people have been following for some time. It was kind of felt like it was down to Texas and and, and Georgia, uh, but just on a just on a nice what is today Wednesday Thursday I have no I think, idea I think it's Thursday <laughs> that sounds good uh, just on a Thursday you know at eleven fifteen 
news drops. It's it's huge news for Texas, obviously, um, as they prepare to head into the SEC and we don't know when, 2024, 2025. So he'll obviously, in theory, be part of that team when that transition is made. But I mean, just how how big is that for Texas to land Arch Manning? Uh, it's huge. You know, I, I think that might be a little bit of an understatement too, because of kind of what happened at Texas last season, you know, being five and seven and getting a difference maker, a five-star number one type of prospect recruit this year, I think not only helps Sarkeesian on the recruiting trail for this year, but you you start talking about a program that's trying to get going in the right direction, especially as the move to the SEC uh, looms. I mean, it's a huge move just for, you know, kind of momentum. It's huge for kind of proof of concept for Sarkeesian to show that, hey, we can sell a lot here. If we get better this year, there's even more to sell. And I think recruits, and and we see this with the transfer portal, especially with quarterbacks, you know, it's kind of gotten, you know, like, I don't know if the NBA free agency is a good way to put it, but, you know, you have your friends and you want to go play with a good quarterback. You want to play with guys, you know, so, you know, that can only help Texas bring in even more skill talent. So it's to put it mildly, it is huge for Texas coming off a five and seven season. And then what's also looming down the road with potentially having a difference maker, a quarterback like Arch Manning, as you move into the SEC is very significant. Yeah. If, uh, if it is 2020 or 2025, when Texas does join the SEC, I believe that would be art March or art March, Arch Manning's uh, <laughs> junior season. Uh, it is, it raised the interesting question of, they just landed Quinn Ewers from the transfer portal. The transfer portal is something we're going to be talking a lot about uh, you and I here in just a minute. I mean, it's going to set up an interesting quarterback battle between Quinn Ewers and Arch Manning. We aren't used to seeing five stars willing to sit for very long. These are two of the highest rated, you know, prospects at quarterback ever. I mean, it's hard not to look at the situation and think that if not 23, then 24, one of these two guys might be on a different roster. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I think it's a it's a good problem for Texas to have when you if you have two five star <laughs> quarterbacks who are in your quarterback room fighting for the starting job. And if nothing else, you know I I think we'll get into yours a little bit more. But there's a lot of upside. There's a lot to like. There's a lot of unknown there. And so he could either work out really well for Texas or he could end up just being okay. Which is then you have Arch Manning to come in and replace him. If not, you know if Arch Manning needs to sit a year, you have potentially one of the better quarterbacks in the big 12 or sec uh wherever you are at the time so i I think thinking down the road it is a potential looming issue for for texas and steve sarkeesian but also on the list of uh, things of problems if i was a coach i would like to have is having yours and arch manning in my quarterback room trying to figure out who's going to be the starter yeah definitely a um a good problem to have, uh, you know. They say if you if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. This is one of those situations where you have two quarterbacks, and you legitimately have two quarterbacks. Pity you can only play one. Uh, so, of course, as I mentioned, transfer portal. That is what we are here to talk about today: is transfer portal winners and losers. It feels like we're far enough into the summer that we shouldn't see any more major changes as far as the transfer portal goes. Obviously uh, players can no longer enter the portal, uh, but they could exit to a big 12 team, but there's not a lot I think in there at this point or, or what we're hearing that would say there's going to be any major change or, or major commitments for any teams as far as players who would immediately come in and have a, an impact or deserve, you know, a lot of talking about. And I, don't, I don't mean to, to speak ill will of anybody still in the portal, but it does feel like we're at a point 
during the summer where we can actually look and kind of grade how how each team handled the portal in the Big 12, um, how it's kind of gone for them, and, and kind of pick some winners and losers. I, I hate using that term. I feel like it's a little bit uh, mean. I don't know, but it's the easiest way to kind of describe what we're going to do here today. The transfer portal has been such a big thing. It continues to grow. I think we saw 3,000 players enter the portal this year, which is the most yet. Um, that's just expected to continue to grow. Before we dive in here, Stephen, you know, when we talk about the portal, I think a lot of emphasis gets put on some of the, the bigger name guys. Whereas I believe I saw the stat like a third of all transfer portal entries were former walk-ons. Um, you know, a lot of this, it's not about money. A lot of people like to be like, oh, he's going to go get a bunch of money over here or this over there because of NIL deals. And I'm like, a lot of these guys, there's so many reasons players enter the transfer portal. I mean, we're still just a few years into this, but at this point, and there's so many ways to go with this, but I'm, well, I'm going to ask you a broad question. What are just kind of your thoughts on the portal and how it's going at, at this point? Well, I think my first observation is, you know, I, I think there's a bit of chaos to it. And I think certainly over time, I think some of that will calm down Um, and saying that I'm also thinking ahead a little bit at the, the new rule changes, as far as, you know, 25 man classes are are basically going away. You can get to 85. I think at some point the, the sort of the, the movement will balance out a little bit, maybe transfer windows come into play. So I think there will be some structure and sort of organization around some of the stuff on the flip side of things. I actually think that it's been, it's made college football offseason, at least for me, a lot more interesting because you have so many players moving around. Teams are getting better. You can see going into the offseason, this team has a specific need. They were able to go out into the transfer portal and fill it. And players are moving around for a variety of reasons. I mean, you mentioned it there. It's not just NIL. It could be playing time. It could be getting closer to home. It could be getting back to a coaching staff that they're familiar with. So I don't necessarily think it's all about NIL. It, it could be a, a lot of factors, but I also think that's good for players. You know, being able to move around and find a better opportunity to go somewhere and start if you're the backup right now. Quarterback movement, especially in the portal, I think is going to make college football more interesting. We just talked about Ewers and Arch Manning. You know, I know Ewers has transferred one time, but you see players have, have moved around two times. So, you know, instead of it's going to be harder to stockpile those five star, four star quarterbacks. But in turn, it might help some of these middle teams in the conference, like a West Virginia getting JT Daniels, uh, like Kansas State trying to reload uh, at quarterback with Adrian Martinez. So I think on the whole, it's good for college football, maybe some structure and organization around the chaos a little bit. But overall, I I think it's just good for the sport. Yeah, we'll see about windows. I do think there is a point to at some point, you know, we've got to stop them entering. And if you we don't want to be doing it all the time, but but whatever. Like I, I'm all for player freedom. Um, they deserve it. If we're not going to put restrictions on on when and what coaches can do, I don't I don't think players should have to have them as well. But that's a topic for another day. Okay, so let's let's dive in here with our winners and losers. You know, we, you talked about West Virginia, so let's start there. I, for me, I've got three schools in particular. I think we're the biggest losers this offseason as far as the portal goes, and West Virginia is one of them. And I know JT Daniels was a huge huge get for them. Uh, and it's going to make a major impact. We think for, for West Virginia this season, I say we think because if, you know, we, we talk so much about him, but it's based off of small sample size of actually playing, um, and, and a lot about him being a five-star recruit. He's been in college for a while. We haven't seen a ton of him. There has been injury issues. 
but he is coming with a former OC to West Virginia to try and fix an offense that has been really, really disappointing. And, and, and that's great. I think it's huge. And typically I would say a school is a winner if you're landing a starting quarterback. I mean, that is a huge piece. But West Virginia loses so much. Since October of last year, they've lost 23 players to the portal. And these are this it, it these are significant losses. We're talking, obviously, Daggy left. Um, he was replaced by Daniels. But you lose Winston Wright, your leading receiver. You lose a... Sean Ryan and Isaiah Esdell, fourth and fifth uh, in in receptions, receiving large last year. You lose a ton on defense. Nick Troy Fortune is gone. Akeem Mesidor is gone. Josh Chandler Semido is gone. Daryl Porter is gone. Jackie Matthews is gone. Avendarius Cohen is gone. Like for a team that ever has been winning with its defense and and propping this team up, what they lost on defense this offseason. They didn't really replace. I know they brought in Jasir Cox from North Dakota State. I know they brought in Rashad Ajay from Colorado State. But unless they've got a bunch of talent already on the roster, which I'm sure they're going to say they do, what they're having to replace, they didn't in the portal. And for a team whose offense has struggled and whose defense has really held this team together, I don't think West Virginia is the biggest loser from the transfer portal to me this year. You know, it's funny that you that you started there because I, I wrestled with where to put West Virginia for the reason that you were getting at it first is if you land a potential difference maker at quarterback, how much does that overcome the losses on the roster? Because you mentioned it. I mean, you know, uh, Chandler Semito, uh, Misador, Porter, uh, you know, you look at three guys who could be starters this year. You know, they had a couple cornerbacks transfer the secondary thinned out. It really feels like the defense is I think the defensive line for West Virginia will be good again this year, but it feels like the defense, especially in the back half of it, will be uh, a lot of unknown and I think maybe more thin on depth than we've seen. But I also think we're seeing sort of a, a flipping of the strengths for West Virginia. The offense might be the strength this year because of Daniels, because of five stars, uh, five starters back on the offensive line. I think it is a question of just how good JT Daniels can be. And so I think if he reaches that potential that we've seen in small sample sizes, it may help overcome some of these losses on defense for West Virginia. But I think on the whole, even though you're bringing in a five-star potentially quarterback in JT Daniels, that is a ton of guys to be replacing on defense. So I would agree with you and put West Virginia in the loser category almost just because of volume and they didn't really replace, uh, bring in enough high-level guys to replace them. Yeah. I absolutely agree. Uh, all right, Stephen. Well, then who who's your first winner you want to talk about? I think Kansas. I, I really like what Lance Leopold and that staff are doing at Kansas. And I think we're, you know, there's a, there's a fine line when you're rebuilding to bringing in freshmen, bringing in transfers, because you don't want to overload the roster and be so imbalanced as far as classes go. But I think Kansas has done some good things in the portal. I mean, their defense last season just was – you know, so it struggled so much, especially against the pass. And you look on the stat sheets, you know, 30, 40 points a game given up. But they brought in a lot of guys to help the secondary. I mean, guys like Jared Paul, uh, not to mention the late pickup of Marvin Grant from Purdue. He was going to be on our all Big Ten team before he transferred uh, to Kansas. So I like the reinforcements that they brought in at linebacker with Eric Gilliard from UCF, the guys they have in the secondary. It feels like the defense, they've done a nice job trying to add depth and add talent to a group that really needs it. Offensively, I like Kai Thomas. 
Uh, the running back from Minnesota, Devin Neal, already in place, but it gives them a nice one-two punch. So I think you can see what the staff is trying to do is not only are they trying to reinforce the roster, but also try to fortify uh, some of those places that maybe they were a little bit thin on depth or just need talent. So I really like what Lance Leopold and this staff are doing to the transfer portal in an effort to try and get better right away. Yeah, I agree. Um, I also had Kansas with one of my winners. You know, you, you look at the portal and they lost 21 guys, but if you really go through and look at who they lost, a lot of them weren't guys you expected to make a major impact this exactly. season. And most of them either haven't found a landing spot or have transferred to FCS. And there's nothing wrong with transferring to FCS, but you look at who left and then who they've brought in. You talked about the defense. I think they upgraded not just at starting spots, but in depth by bringing in like Craig Young from Ohio State. He may have had struggled with the, the, all of the defensive backfield at Ohio State last season, but I think he's an upgrade at what Kansas has. Same thing with Jarrett Paul from Eastern Michigan. Uh, as you mentioned, Marvin Grant. Like Those are three safeties who I think immediately upgrade Kansas's defensive back. Uh, you mentioned Gilliard. And, and at running back, uh, Thomas was a huge pickup, even getting Savion Morrison. Now you've got three running backs. That's a real power five running back room as opposed to having Devin Neal and, and the rest of the guys they had last year. Like that's three running backs that feel like a legitimate power five running back room. I think Kansas absolutely did. The only piece of real significance I think they lost was Miles Kendrick, but that's because he wasn't going to be starting this year. They've got their quarterback of the future. And I think they brought in a ton of guys, especially on defense where they struggled the most. It, you lost Kyron Johnson to the draft, huge defensive end for them. But you bring in Lonnie Phelps from Miami of Ohio, who was a, a, a fantastic piece. And he, I don't think he's Kyron Johnson, but now you aren't taking nearly as big of a step back at that position with the addition of Phelps. I think Kansas absolutely killed it in the portal. I think they are not just a winner, but I think they're one of the biggest winners just based off of how much they've upgraded their roster, both in the Big 12 and nationally. I totally agree. I think if you took a snapshot of their depth chart at the end of the last season, and this year, and you just put all the transfers in, and I think you would see that this they, they look like a much more competitive depth chart on the roster. You know, you mentioned Phelps, too. You know, I think you look at their pass rush last year, and there's definitely a need to get after the quarterback more this year. So even if he's not necessarily a, you know, five, 600 uh, snap, a, a, you know, a season defensive end, if he's a guy who can give you 10, 15 good pass, you know, rush snaps a game to go with an improvement in the secondary, you know, you can start to see how, okay, Kansas maybe isn't, they're not a dominant defense this year, but at the same time, you know, they're not giving up 40 points a game. If they can get that total down, if Daniel settles in on offense and you, we talked about some of these pieces, I mean, I, I would feel pretty good about Kansas maybe, you know, exceeding expectations of being a lot more competitive in the Big 12 this year. Yeah, I think the last win total uh, from Vegas I saw was two and a half. We'll do win totals at some point this offseason, but I'm taking the I'm over, all, by the I'm way. I'm taking the over. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I think a big, you know, looking at their schedule, that Duke game at home is a huge one for them to achieve that. But at right now, just looking at the schedule they have and looking what they've done to this roster and how they finished last year, I'm I am comfortable taking that over all day. Okay, so West Virginia I had as a loser, you seem to as well. We both had Kansas as a winner. Uh Steven, who's another loser for you? You know, I kind of have an, an interesting one. Uh, Iowa State. Iowa State lost a lot, I think, to the portal. You know, guys like Craig McDonald, a couple other guys in the secondary hit the portal. They didn't bring in a lot of transfers. And you know, they brought in a couple, including Colby Reeder, the linebacker from Delaware, who should be able to factor into that linebacker rotation. Dimitri Stanley, 
the receiver, MJ Anderson, transferring in from Minnesota uh, could help on the defensive line. It feels like Iowa State lost a lot. I know there maybe some of the losses weren't necessarily huge, but they lost a lot of players to the portal. They didn't necessarily replace a lot of those guys. So I, I look at that one of two ways. I think Iowa State must feel pretty good about their roster and development that's coming in the program under Matt Campbell and, and really no surprise. I mean, the culture, the talent development, what they do every year, I think they must feel pretty good about some of their, you know, the next wave of stars coming up. So I just think that this is a roster that lost quite a bit. No, no Brock Purdy. There's no Brees Hall. Uh, the tight end room lost some guys too. So they didn't bring in a lot and they lost some guys. I don't know whether that was by design, but I also trust Matt Campbell at the same time. So it's also hard for me to call Iowa State a loser when I just have a lot of faith in Matt Campbell, if that makes sense. No, I have Iowa State as one of my my three losers as well for the same reasons. You just you see some of the guys they lost. Now look, from from and and I I cannot confirm this. All I can say is from some sources I have talked to, there are some guys on the defense who Iowa State was not sad to see go. Um, in case some cases because maybe didn't fit the culture, uh, but they kept around last season because of you know the goals they have, not Matt Campbell's goals of the memories and friends you make along the way, but actually trying to get back to the Big 12 title game. Um, maybe they kept a few guys around who who were starters from them uh, because of those goals. And now that they kind of see themselves taking a step back this year with everything they are replacing, quarterback, running back on the defense, um, maybe letting some of the, seeing some of those players leave for other opportunities isn't wasn't the worst thing for them. So there may be, a, to some extent, some addition by subtraction but it is hard to look at at the players they lost and and just say like look i i believe in iowa state's development but development does take time i do think there's some guys on the roster who if i'm iowa state maybe some of this is said we we're okay if 2022 isn't uh we're not aiming for for a title game birth this year but maybe you're setting yourselves up for a 2023 where you make a big run um, that it kind of makes sense. So I, I had them as a loser as well, just because they didn't really add much. I think Reader was the only one I looked at and said, that's a guy I feel comfortable saying will be a contributor on this team compared to the guys that they lost. Yeah, I think you, you look at some of the losses too. I mean, I mentioned McDonald, uh, but you also, Ashim Young at safety. You know, those are two guys who they kind of expected to play a big role in the secondary this year. Also, Tariq Milton uh, transferring to Texas. And you can kind of say they replaced him with Dimitri Stanley, but at the same time, you know, <laughs> Milton was looking ahead without with the losses at tight ends. He'd probably like to have uh, more difference makers in, in the receiving core this year too. So I just think overall, like you said, it's a, you start cycling the roster in, in addition by subtraction. I also trust Matt Campbell. So I'm weighing all these things as we're talking about it, but there is some heavy losses here. And, and that's why I just had to put them in the loser category. Yeah, I agree. Uh, okay. I, one team I will, I will classify as a winner is Kansas state. Now, we talked about West Virginia. They had a lot of losses, and I don't think that JT Daniels alone, despite that being a big ad, is enough to outweigh them. I feel the opposite way for Kansas State. They they lost a few guys to the portal, but I don't feel like they lost a lot of guys that are sitting here sweating it out. Um, maybe Brandon Jennings, one of the kind of the bigger losses for them. Uh, but outside of that, maybe Tyrone Teleni. I, I don't see a lot of guys they lost where I'm like, this is this is a problem for them, even T. Denson. Meanwhile, they bring in Adrian Martinez, who I think, you know, if we were going to talk about kind of players, I think won in the transfer portal. I think Martinez going to Kansas State is, is huge. And I know there's a, 
I'm kind of a split opinion on Martinez amongst Big 12 people um, who've paid attention to this. I, I am in the group who thinks I don't put nearly as much blame on him as uh, for his struggles at Nebraska as I do on Nebraska and the coaching staff there. I think him coming to Kansas State, it's a perfect fit. I think he will be able to find more success as long as he stays healthy at Kansas State. And for Kansas State, with with what they bring back on the defensive line, I like the offensive line. I like we, you know, we, we've done our, our wide receiver, our pass catcher rankings, including tight ends and running backs, and I like what they have there. I think adding Martinez, there's a, he's, he is a reason I have Kansas State as a dark horse to make the Big 12 title game this year. I really do feel good about Kansas State, and Martinez is a big part of that. So you add him along with adding, you know, Jaden Jackson could be an impact player. Sean Robinson could be for them as well. Outside of that, like they didn't lose that much as far as impact goes, but what they added far outweighs it, especially with Martinez. I agree with you. So I think, first of all, I am on the Kansas State as a dark horse uh, for the Big 12 championship bandwagon, too. Yeah. I really like this team this season and the way the Big 12 is so wide open, I think, that you could see a team like Kansas State kind of crash in the party. I- I'm going to buy Adrian Martinez this year because I think – to your point, Nebraska, we see what's happened this offseason with all the coaching changes. They've had poor offensive line play, inconsistency at receiver. I, he's been injured too. I think a fresh start will do him some good. And also, I think if I'm a Big 12 defensive coordinator, I, I'm having nightmares of trying to defend Deuce Vaughn and Adrian Martinez in the same backfield, uh, the way that those two can run the ball. And I think Chris Kleiman and Colin Klein, like that pairing – they, I think they're just so resourceful. And we saw this with Skylar Thompson and other quarterbacks. They're going to put him into a position to where he can succeed. So I think if he can keep the turnovers down, stay healthy this year, um, you know, I considered voting him for all Big 12. I think he could be, you know, you look at the Big 12, he could be third team maybe coming into the season, behind Spencer Sanders, maybe in Dylan Gabriel. So I am buying Kansas State as a winner. I'm buying Adrian Martinez. And I also like maybe not um, – high impact additions in the secondary, but also think if you start looking at that defense and you see one spot where they lost some pieces, it's at safety. So Sean Robinson, the former TCU quarterback went to Missouri. Now he's at Kansas state and some other guys that they brought in, they at least add options and they add depth, which as we know, in the big 12, you got to have bodies in the secondary to face some of these passing games. Yeah, no, I agree. Uh, okay. So Steven, I'll ask you, who do you, who is your other winner? Do you have another winner for the Big 12? I do. I like what Texas did in the portal, um, especially on the offensive side of the ball with, with the firepower that they've added at receiver and tight end, you know, bringing in Isaiah Nayer from Wyoming is one of my favorite transfers this year. Very underutilized, I think, at Wyoming because of their passing game. He's a big play threat. You know, he, he didn't, he caught under 50 passes last year and averaged uh, 20, you know, almost 20 yards a catch. So, he adds another weapon to Xavier Worthy. You add in a Jai Hall uh, potential there. Didn't make a huge impact at Alabama, but certainly has the recruiting pedigree. And then Jaleel Billingsley, the tight end at Alabama, maybe Sarkeesian can kind of tap into uh, some of the things that made him successful at Alabama and put it together at Texas. So, And, and not to mention Quinn Ewers uh, as well. So I think Texas, because of the offense that they've added, and the, the receivers combined with the quarterback would be a winner in my book. I have Texas as a winner as well. Um, a little bit of a, maybe an asterisk by this. Um, they lost 21 guys to the portal, but but we feel pretty confident in saying 
Texas ran some guys off that didn't fit the culture they were trying to establish there. Uh, I, th- I think we're pretty comfortable in saying that a lot of, and this is part of the portal, guys, where players are leaving. Sometimes it's not always that the player wants to leave. It's that the school is not upset to see them go and may have kind of shown them the door. I think that's the case at Texas, which is why they had so many exits. They add only seven guys coming in, but every one of them, it feels like they can make an impact. Diamante Tucker Dorsey, uh, FCS All-American from from JMU coming in at linebacker. Why I put the asterisk here is they fixed the wide receiver and the pass catching situation. I think Texas has the best pass catching collection in the Big 12. We we all we ranked them number one last week, but like I, my my concern is it really feels like they missed out on a lot of the defensive guys they tried to go after, and. And I know they're bringing in a ton of talent on the offensive line in this recruiting class, but those are a bunch of freshmen. How much are they going to be able to do? I feel like Texas is a winner because of what they brought in and because I think they cleared out some guys that were kind of causing issues, maybe leading to you know outbursts on a, on a bus after, after a game, losing to a team like Kansas. But I also feel like they whiffed on really filling some holes and some needs they that they had for this season, which is why like Texas taking a step forward this year I know Texas fans would love to say a Big 12 dark mate for the, the conference championship game, but there is, their holes are big and they didn't fill enough of them to me so that I'm going to give them a yes, they won because of the pieces they brought in. But I, there's a little bit of an asterisk there just because of the whiffs that they made and because of how many guys they had to run out. And not to mention really, I think banking on the freshman tackles this season, I think certainly very talented, but also, there's no veteran uh, stopgap right now that they brought in through the portal to to sort of fortify those positions, especially if you have a you know freshman quarterback essentially in Quinn Ewers. I, I also you know we talked about uh, the receivers. You know you mentioned Tucker Dorsey. He was one of our All Sun Belt picks on the uh, the All Conference team for this preseason. So he was one of the better linebackers in the Sun Belt. You know curious to see how that translates to a higher level uh, level of ball in the Big Twelve, but. Very good player at the FCS level. Also, Ryan Watts, uh, a nice pickup from Ohio State in the secondary at corner. So I, I like what Texas did, but I also think, to your point, there's sort of um, there's so- something missing there, and that was more either high-level impact defenders and maybe a few more stop gaps on the offensive line. Line play, offensive and defensive for Texas are going to be the thing, I think, that holds them back from a really breakthrough season. But a winning season, I think they can achieve this year. I've got one more loser on my list, and as much as it pains me to admit it, um, it's Oklahoma State. Um, You look at what they lost on the offensive line. No one that was maybe necessarily a starter, but this is absolute depth with Hunter Anthony, uh, Monroe Mills, Cade Bennett. All transferring out. I know they brought in Casey Collier from USC, uh, and and he can be a contributor. I know they brought in Jason Brooks, Brooks from Vanderbilt, and he can be a contributor. But I feel like they lost more than they gained on the offensive line. Plus, you lose two starters in your secondary. Tanner McAllister transferring to Ohio State to join Jim Knowles there. You also lose uh, starting corner Jonathan or, um, Jared Bernard to LSU. Shane Illingworth, your backup quarterback, to Nevada. I look at what... Oklahoma State lost some of the impact players that left for them and look at what they brought in. And I they brought in some nice pieces and some depth. Oh, I forgot Jaden Jernick and backup defensive lineman who I think they were really upset to lose to Missouri. I just you look at what Oklahoma State lost compared to what they brought in. And I think it's similar to an an Iowa State situation of I know they feel comfortable about the talent that they they have waiting in the wings that's gonna have to develop this season. 
but I they they did not immediately bring in the pieces to replace what it was that they lost in the portal. I agree with you. You you, you can you notice why I waited to talk about Oklahoma State. I was trying to trying to save the pain, Philip. I'm sorry about that, man. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I agree with you. I, I think first of all, you know, you look at the impact players that they lost. You know, Bernard Converse, McAllister in the secondary, a defense that you know, has turnover at linebacker and in the secondary, plus the new court, you know, coordinator. If you could keep a couple players like that around, all of a sudden the transition won't be as great. I think the offensive line, uh, especially with the two players that they're losing uh, in the interior this year and how that group ends up shuffling will be a question mark for me. And then bringing in two transfers that, you know, haven't played a lot at their, at their previous stop, how does that fit into the mix? So I think Oklahoma State, much like Iowa State, much like Kansas State, I will trust them on player development and filling the voids, but also that some of these losses, when you lose a backup quarterback who could be important considering Spencer Sanders could get banged up, you also look at the losses in the secondary, defensive line, offensive line. Um, that's why I have Oklahoma State as a loser in the transfer portal. Yeah, uh, Spencer Sanders has not played a full season so far since he got to Oklahoma State. He's missed at least one game every year. Uh, so you're now looking at uh, uh, Gunnar Gundy and uh, and Garrett Rangel, two guys who have not actually you know taken snaps in college yet, as your backups behind him after you lose Shane Illingworth. So uh, the backup quarterback spot definitely a concern. Stephen, let's ask: um, Do you have any other winners or losers on your list? I've pretty much gone through mine. I, you and I have a lot of consensus here. Can I throw out Oklahoma yes, as a? Uh, I guess a, 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 I don't I don't really know what to do with Oklahoma. I think right. That's, yeah, I mean, on one hand, you look and see, okay, they lost Spencer Rattler, they uh, they lost Caleb Williams, uh, Stockner, Hazelwood, Jackson. Like they lost a lot on offense, but also you think, okay, they at least brought in a starting quarterback in Dylan Gabriel, who I think can be very good in that offense. Uh, Bunkley Shelton, the receiver from Arizona State, will help. They brought in help for offensive line, defensive line, secondary. I don't know how many high-impact guys there are outside of Dylan Gabriel. Maybe Jeffrey Johnson, the transfer from Tulane, start maybe as a nose guard or, or playing somewhere at tackle up front. But I think they sort of managed the damage, if that's a good way to put it, from the mm-hmm. transfer portal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I, I didn't feel like – I don't feel like they replaced as much as they lost, but they brought it enough where it almost kind of breaks – even maybe leans toward the loser side, but not enough for me to be like, no, the, the OU is a loser. So I'd, it's almost just kind of in the middle ground. I mean, you, you wide receivers, you also, you know, JV and Hester is coming in from Missouri, who I think could be an impact player for them. I just, they, they did the best they could. Um, they lost a lot. They lost a lot of pieces who were very important, but you're also going through a coaching change an offensive scheme change. I mean, it's kind of an overhaul. And I, I don't think that they lost. And I, I, I think they kind of won. If you again, if you bring in a starting quarterback, that means a lot. But you also lost two starting quarterbacks, and I don't think the guy you brought in is as talented as the the biggest one you lost in Caleb Williams. So I don't. Yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time with them. I feel like they they did the best they could. So I don't feel like I can say yay or nay. And I they're almost a let's wait and see how much of an impact the guys they brought in have on this season. Yeah, I think I don't know. Maybe if you feel the same way about TCU. Two, um, losing Evans, losing Coleman, losing Mathis. They lost some high-impact guys, and I think Sonny Dykes, who was good at navigating the portal at SMU, I think kind of 
just to Oklahoma also kind of just managed the damage and, and did as well as he could to try and fill some of those voids. Do you, do you agree on TCU? Or you like them as a, as a winner or a loser kind of in the, in the middle? I kind of the same way. Like yeah. you lost some big impact guys, but you brought in some guys. I, I kind of like as well. Like I, I, I like the cornerback and Josh Newton. You brought in from, from Louisiana Monroe Perry at safety, potentially from Colorado too. Yeah. Uh, Corey Wren running back from, from Florida state. Like I think you brought again, you, I think you, you kind of did the best you could mitigated the losses. And I do think, you know, for TCU, we've, we've talked about with Gary Patterson, they, they were the third best or, or the third most talented roster in the big 12. Cause they always had the third best class in the big 12. So kind of another situation of like, I don't, I don't think they came out poorly of the portal like i feel like they they worked it hard which you know we know that they tend to do uh or, or will tend to do and so i it's kind of like oklahoma i think that's a pretty fair comp. i think most of the rest of them are just kind of like you could go either way i think the only one i really considered for for winner was baylor because you lose rj sneed you know and, and obviously you lose jerry bohannon uh, because he's not going to be the starting quarterback, and props to, to Dave Aranda for allowing him the opportunity to transfer since he wasn't going to get the starting job. But you jo- brought in Jackson Player from Tulsa, who is an absolute stud, and just makes that defensive line even more like yeah. We're going to do our, our pass rush uh, rankings in the Big 12 here in, the, in a couple of weeks. And I, that's the, I think that might be the kind of position group ranking I'm most excited about in the Big 12, is talking about defensive ends, defensive lines, the Big 12, that... For all the concern about secondaries and line, like especially linebacker in the Big 12, defensive lines in the Big 12 this year are going to be a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, they really are. You know, it's funny you mentioned that because uh, doing the national position rankings uh, for Athlon, you know, you look at Oklahoma State, you look at Baylor, you think both of those groups should certainly be top 10 uh, defensive lines. And in Oklahoma, Brent Venables, the track record at Clemson of developing defensive lines, I think defensive line play in the Big 12 throughout West Virginia too is still coming back. It's going to be a great year for defensive linemen and defensive line play in the league. I, I actually have Baylor probably as a winner too, because I, I think Jackson player is just another guy that even if he doesn't start for Baylor, if he just rotates in and you add him to Ica and some of those other guys that they have coming back up front, I mean, it, that only adds to what is a very good defensive front. Josh White's a guy who had some familiarity with Dave Aranda back at LSU. So I like what they brought in i know they lost some players i think rj sneed is probably the most high profile departure just simply because um they have a needed receiver and shape and beat out bohannon but overall if you if if player and, and white are just adding to that defense i mean again with bernard leaving that front that front of, of baylor is going to be really good once again this year oh yeah it's i've got my ballot for big 12 uh <laughs> big big 12 all big 12 team uh, preseason and i'm sitting here like I'm I'm weird. I'm excited to fill out defensive line, defensive end. I've just got to figure out like, okay, but how do I pick? Yeah, <laughs> there's on defensive line, defensive end. I'm like, I don't know who to pick because there's so many good options. Meanwhile, linebacker, I don't know who to pick because I I can't quite figure out who I who deserves to be there. Two very different, dairy dude. Two very different situations for Big Twelve. Yeah, I mean it's funny. I was as we were talking, I was flipping open my. Uh, my ballot from the all big 12 team. And, you know, you look back at, at who's on there. I mean, you, I have, I mean, I think, you know, six, seven guys you could consider for first team. And, and of course it depends on if you count them as ends and tackles and how that works out, but McDonald, mm-hmm. uh, stills, Oliver, Ica, uh, Kansas state is, has guys as well. So 
I mean, this is it's going to be fascinating to see the dynamic of the defensive line. And you have some questionable lines in the league at contenders combined with the transfers at quarterback. It sort of makes for an interesting mix and, and just adds to the, the wide openness of the Big 12 this year. I'll say this. If you do not have good offensive line play in the Big 12 this year, you, you're going to be in for a rough season. That's yes, I, I agree. Uh, I think the only team we haven't talked about as far as the transfer portal is Texas Tech. And I and I, I feel like it's another like they lost some guys and they brought some guys in. And so I, I'm kind of at a 50-50 spot. But I do have one guy in particular I want to talk about for them. And, and, and again, we talked about uh, pass catchers uh, last week. And, you know, Zach Kitley, we're used to what he did at Houston Baptist in Western Kentucky and just chuck the ball downfield left, right, and sideways. But it's feeling like Texas Tech this year might run a little bit more 12 personnel. We'll see some two tight end sets with Tharp. And then, of course, Baylor Cup, who they brought in from Texas A&M. I'm, I'm really excited to see if Cup can stay healthy. And, and if he does, the other kind of position group battle I'm really intrigued in this year is the tight end position, the Big 12 between Cup and and Sims and Billingsley at Texas. And I, and I, I feel like I'm probably missing somebody here, but, but those three guys, I think it's going to be a really interesting. It, we're just not used to talking about tight end a whole lot in the big 12. Usually Oklahoma's got a guy that's, that's really talented, but, and of course we had, we had Charlie Kolar at, at, at Iowa state, but I'm, is there, it almost feels like there's a bit of a resurgence of tight end in the big 12 that kind of started last year and feels like it's building this year. Cause I'm really intrigued by the position group in the big 12 this year. Yeah. It's funny. As you were talking about that, I was thinking back through the last couple of years of doing the all big 12 team. And it's, you know, you get into the big 12 and you just assume that every year you're just going to do three receivers on the first team all you know on the all conference and not worry about tight end because there really wasn't a tight end that necessarily deserved to be first or second team but I felt like this year and maybe last year we started to see this that there were more options at tight end as far as just guys who were pass catchers guys who were more all-around threats I think Baylor Cup at Texas Tech to your point is a just a fascinating pickup because he was a big-time recruit coming out of high school to Texas A&M he's been hurt a lot you know, in an offense like this where you know they're going to throw the ball and you have some options at quarterback, whether it's Shuck or, or Smith or, or another option, um, this Texas Tech offense has a lot of potential. And he could catch a lot of passes, especially with the turnover they've had in the receiving core. And I think it also gets at why they brought in some of the guys on the offensive line. Um, you know, Michael Shanahan from Tennessee Martin, Cole Spencer is a is a player from WKU who has experience in the Kitley system. So I think with you know, there was no necessarily big time headliner for me at a Texas Tech other than Baylor Cup and and maybe the offensive lineman, but it also feels like Joey McGuire continuing to just try to add talent, add depth to a roster that they have some good uh, frontline talent. There's some veterans on the roster, so I'm curious just Texas Tech as a whole this year because the McGuire hire was so fascinating. The system they're going to run, the quarterbacks they have, they're kind of a wild card uh, in the Big Twelve this year. Yeah, they're interesting. I feel like I feel like this is a have realistic expectations for year one with a look towards year three for a roster that will use the transfer portal probably well, or a team that will, and is really going to focus on developing those diamond in the rough guys from around Texas just because they have those those connections to the to the high schools that they're gonna be able to utilize really, really well. And we're already seeing that with the, the twenty twenty uh three class. 
2022, yeah, 2023 class and, and it being ranked as highly as it is, which has been really neat to see for Texas Tech. Obviously, it will drop as other teams rise up. But for now, it's neat to be able to say you at one point had a number two ranked class in the country. Uh, Steven, man, I appreciate you so much. This has been more time than I could ask for. Okay, I, I know that the uh, Athlon Sports College Football Preview Magazine is available digitally. Is it is it on magazine shelves yet? I don't I don't get to Barnes & Noble much. Yeah, no, same here, man. Um, it, it is on newsstands. The official on-sale date was June 7th. It was a little later this year because of the transfer portal. We actually tried to move back our deadline to um to get all the to get more transfers in of course uh jordan addison transferring to usc <laughs> was kind of the one we couldn't get in there that we were hoping to get into the magazine but yeah it is on newsstands right now you can get it at like places like barnes and noble grocery stores pretty much anywhere that has uh sales magazines and then you can also go to our website athlonsports.com there's a link to magazines at the very top it takes you there and uh, both of our editions, SEC and National College Football, are available for sale there. 264 pages of college football preview. Uh, there are three magazines I like to read and keep next to my computer as I do all my planning. This is absolutely one of them. Although this year I'm probably going to buy the digital copy because I live in small town Arkansas and even the Walgreens doesn't always have all the things that I want. Uh, but Stephen, it's, it's always good to talk to you. The magazine is fantastic every year. If you guys are college football fans, make sure that you go and get your copy, be it in uh, in print or digitally. I know I, print, I love print. I just I like to have it in my hands. It's just nice to do, but you know, sometimes I'm just having it on your on your laptop isn't the worst thing in the world. I will I will tell you that I I like the print edition better, but I also I hate to admit this, I'm a two copy kind of person because oh. You know, I got to have the one copy that's like the 350 carry copy. You know, you use it a lot. And the other copy, you know, is put it on the shelf. And then, you know, if I need to look something up in a couple of years, it's not as used or or has been through the wear and tear of the of conference play like the first edition was. Uh, one for use and one for show. Very good. Right. Everybody go give Steven a follow on Twitter at Athlon Steven. Steven, again, man, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, buddy. It, anytime, Philip. Thanks for having me on. Podcast Network.